Thank you for listening to Murder Sandwich, a true crime and mystery podcast hosted by yours truly, Vickily. What? Vickily. Vickily. Pickle. Uh, I'm going to leave this in. Hosted by Vicky James. And this is our part two of Robert Picton. So I am joined here today again with Devin Adams. Hello. So grab a BLT, a Reuben, or maybe a turkey club, and let's mow down on some true crime. Okay, so we ended the last podcast right when he got arrested. So we're going to talk about his trial and imprisonment, and then we're going to go forward and talk about some articles that came out after, and then a little bit about his brother. So let's jump into it. So Picton was arrested on February 5th, 2002. So this is after they searched his farm and everything and found all of those remains. (laughs) He had a preliminary hearing just to decide if there was enough evidence for for the trial. And this was for all 27 people that he was charged with. And then that trial went from January to July of 2003. But his actual trial did begin on January 22nd of 2007. I actually, well, I graduated in 2007. I do remember a little bit being on the case for sure. Like I remember reading stuff about it, but I, I think I had other things going on in my grad year. <laughs> I remember it too, briefly. Yeah, a little bit, for sure. Like, I think I was... Sorry to age you. In middle school. <laughs> it's not aging that badly. <laughs> I was a child. <laughs> I was also a child. You were an adult. <laughs> 17. <laughs> Trust me, I was not... Oh my an- god, not the pink snort again. <laughs> well, now you definitely know we're doing third third host here. (laughs) Uh, So his trial was in New Westminster at British Columbia. So this is another city that's been within the metro area of Vancouver. And it was actually our old provincial capital. I wanted just to add that. (laughs) He pleaded not guilty to all 27 charges of first degree murder, one of which was later rejected on the grounds of lack of evidence. So the 26 charges were split. So only six of them which was Marnie LeFray, Georgina Faith Pappen, Brenda Ann Wolf, Andrea Josbury, Serena Abbotsway, and Mona Lee Wilson were processed first. According to the judge, they said that all 26 charges would put too much strain on the jury. And because of the evidence in those six counts was materially different from the other 20. So the Jane Doe that was mentioned in last episode, she was the one that got rejected. Uh, because they didn't have any evidence of who she was. Mm-hmm. So they just dropped her. Which I think is just really sad. Totally. Because they'll just probably never find out who she is. Mm-hmm. So on December 6, 2007. So basically the trial lasted like almost a whole year. Mm-hmm. A jury did find Picton guilty on the six murders. But they reduced it from first degree to second degree. And he was sentenced to life imprisonment. Which in Canada is the possibility of parole in 25 years and is the highest possible punishment for second degree murder. And it's not concurrently. Like you can only go to prison for a maximum of 25, no matter how many people you murder. Great. 
So essentially, Ernie picked in the same punishment if he would have received the first degree conviction. So we do have a lot of listeners that are from the United States, and they obviously have way different laws than us. Mm -hmm. So I did write down a few differences just so people can know the difference between first and second degree murder. So in Canadian law, they recognize three types of culpable homicide. So murder, which is involved with the first and second degree, and then manslaughter, and then infant side. So murder is obviously killing one person from another. And then infant side is the killing of a newborn child by its mother. And then manslaughter, which includes obviously the lesser of criminal negligence, is any homicide that neither is murder or infant side. Uh, first degree murder consists of four different forms of homicide. So the first one is murders that are planned and deliberate, murders of police or custodial officers that are killed in the line of duty, murders that are committed during a specified like criminal acts like hijacking, sexual offenses, or kidnapping. And then murders committed by a person who has been convicted of first or second degree. I found that one really interesting. So mm-hmm. if you've already been convicted of second degree, no matter what you do, then you're charged by with first degree, which is kind of weird. Second degree murder now consists of all other murders. Okay. And that apparently recently changed. Uh, capital punishment has been abolished in Canada in 1976. So mm-hmm. as much as some of us might agree that Picton should have deserved capital punishment. Mm-hmm. It has been abolished for a really long time. I looked at the comparison and there are 28 states out of 50 that do have the capital punishment still. I don't know if anyone's interested in me reading them out, but I'm not going to because it will probably take me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But California, Oregon, and Pennsylvania are on the list, but currently they have something called imposed moratoria, which is basically a temporary suspension on executions. And then I just wrote down two facts, which is the average wait time in the U.S. to wait for a death sentence is actually 14 years and eight months. And there have been 1,527 executions in America since 1976. I don't know why, but I expected more for some reason. Yeah, I know we talked about this last night and it was just, it's a little weird. Like people that go on death row, a lot of the times don't even make it to their execution. They just end up dying of natural causes or, you know, being in prison shit. And you had mentioned last night that you've heard or read before that, like, lots of people hope that they end up getting death row when they have, like, a heinous crime. Dun, dun. Um. (laughs) Because um, apparently they have better treatment and food. Yeah. Which is just super weird. I mean, I guess if they figure they're going to be locked up for the rest of their lives anyways, that they might as well fucking eat eat well. I don't know. Yeah, and apparently they all get their own cell in some of them, and Mm -hmm. you don't have to share. I think it's because it's like, it's the end of their life, but for some reason they want to make it comforting. Like, the people that are on death row... Are like horrendous people. Yeah, if they were charged properly. Yeah. But we won't get into that, because that's a whole other fucking topic. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) So on August 4th, 2010... Prosecutors announced that they would just not proceed at all with the 20 other charges, and they were officially stayed. Um, One of the main reasons is due to Canadian law, the extra convictions just wouldn't have increased his punishment, so they just felt no need because there was such low evidence for them. Mm -hmm. Um, But they did appeal three times to the British Columbia Court of Appeals. The first one was made by the defense, but was actually rejected. One was made by the prosecution 
and was allowed on the grounds that the trial judge had actually made a mistake in excluding some evidence and in splitting the charges. And then Picton's defense then filed another appeal with the Canadian Supreme Court, which was rejected on July 20th, 2009. Okay. He is currently incarcerated, and he actually has the possibility of parole in 2032. I don't believe he will get it. <laughs> but oh, yeah, we'll I don't see. think so either. <laughs> Uh, in May of 2020, so just last year, the RCMP actually put in an application into the BC Supreme Court to destroy the evidence from the Robert Prichton trial, but it was actually canceled due to COVID-19. So documents that were filed in court in New Westminster, such as like crime scene tapes, shoes, hypodermic needles, sex toys, rosary beads, knives, a gun. A gun. Like one gun. With the dildo. <laughs> I was thinking that. <laughs> I was like, is it the gun with the dildo? They weren't very specific. Yeah, of course they weren't. They weren't like fucking gun. dildo silencer wasn't on the list. <laughs> I would I want to know where it went. It ha- that has to be it. So pieces of ammunition as well, license plates, and then other things. And all human remains were already cremated in 2010. Like there was actually reports that like some people didn't want them to be cremated, mm-hmm. but like they were unburiable. Mm-hmm. So that's really sad. Um, an affidavit was filed with the application to destroy all the evidence in the case, as there was no further criminal proceedings expected in the Picton case. I don't know. I just, I don't know why I find it really weird that they put in an application to destroy it. Like, is it taking up a lot of room or something? Yeah. I don't know. It might be. Like, think about how many, like, maybe unsolved cases that they have to keep evidence for and, like, how big is the facility. And if he isn't going to get any more charges, it's, like, it really is just kind of, like, for lack of a better word, it's, like, taking, taking up space. Yeah. It's it's shitty to say that those pieces, like... I bet you there's some creepy people who want that stuff, though. Or even, like, the families. Like, I mean, there was, like, ID and stuff. And it might seem kind of weird, but when you lose a loved one so abruptly like that and, like, you went all that time, like, with no closure, you want any freaking piece of it that you can get Like, I would want to keep ID. Like, even if I just lost someone regularly, it would be nice to have just one more piece of them since you don't have anything left physically of their body. Yeah. Like, they didn't list ID. They listed pretty gross things. Like, I definitely wouldn't want, like, a hypodermic needle. (laughs) (laughs) Not even if it was from your loved one. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, I totally get what you mean. Like, if they aren't going to do any further criminal proceedings, like, what is the point? Yeah. But... Yeah. I just didn't know that they ever even did that. Rosary beads. I must have missed you saying that because I just glanced on it and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, rosary beads. What a random... It's right next to sex toys. Yeah. Hypodermic needles, sex toys, rosary beads, and then... Knives. knives. (laughs) (laughs) The list list goes in a lot of different directions. (laughs) And then after knives is a gun and then license plates, something so innocent. Um, I just wrote a tiny note here that the main prosecutor in the Robert Picton case actually did recently pass away, actually due to COVID-19. Too bad it couldn't have been defense. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently, I read that there was, like, a pretty severe COVID outbreak in the prison that he was in. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mentioned that he wrote a book. So, I wanted to look more into this said book. So, I found some info. So it was actually just in 2016. I actually thought it was older. 
um, that he did an autobiographical book titled Picton in His Own Words, <laughs> which was allegedly written by Picton and was <laughs> smuggled out of prison and was published by Outskirts Press of Denver, Colorado. No Canadian was willing to fuck with that. Well, it was, no, it was 144 pages long and it was offered on uh, for sale on Amazon, but was withdrawn due to public outrage. It had 92 sales in three days and had an average star rating of 1.4. <laughs> I read and um, yeah, so... <laughs> so the sales pitch for the book oh it was like for about $14.95 as well uh, so the, the sales pitch for the book was and I direct copy and pasted this because I just wanted to get like every mm-hmm. piece of it so Robert William Willie Picton aka the pig farm killer from Port Coquitlam British Columbia Canada is a former multi-millionaire pig farmer and serial killer convicted in 2007 charged with the murders of six women and sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years he confessed to killing a total of 49 women to an undercover police officer posing as a cellmate Picton also told the undercover police officer that he wanted to kill one more woman to make it an even 50, and he got caught because he got sloppy. This is Picton's story in his own words, a detailed story accusing the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and the Commissioner of total corruption and abuse of power, starting with the spring of 1997. Oh my fucking God. Like, can I just say, I literally sat here with my hand on my fucking face. (laughs) That whole time that you were reading it, and I was, like, kind of reading ahead, and I'm thinking, what in the actual fuck? Like, this dude is trying to say, first off, that he, like, didn't do the the murders, like, outside of this book description, and then he's literally writing on the back of the book that he did it, and then at the end has to add in this fucking corruption shit about the RCMP. Like, fuck off, dude. (laughs) He should have just went with my idea on an illustrated book. It would have done much better. <laughs> so I just love how you, they had to throw in multimillionaire for some oh, reason. Oh, I laughed when I read that too. I was like, fuck off, <laughs> dude. My God, what the hell? So he did write the book in his maximum security prison at Agassiz Kent Institution. But because of uh, his correspondence was monitored so closely, he actually gave it to another inmate who then sent it to his buddy down in California named Michael Childress, who published it with his name on the cover. Hmm. Reports say the book had reference to biblical passages, is full of spelling mistakes and grammatical (laughs) errors, and has transcripts of his interviews with police, which, let me remind you, he wrote it in prison. So, like, he has memory of exact word transcripts. Yeah, sure. And spelling mistakes. I called it on part one. Like, what the hell? Apparently some sentences are, like, totally unreadable. Um, (laughs) Picton states in the book that he is innocent of all murders and that the RCMP made him the fall guy for the deaths. He also claims that the body parts of women found on his Port Coquitlam pig farm were in cars that he had actually bought at the police auction. (laughs) He also claims that blood from one victim, police found in a mattress, was just spilt wallpaper glue. He actually, that comes up later, so hold on to that fact, okay? So 
wallpaper glue. (laughs) Red, red. He insinuates without evidence that the motorcycle gang Hells Angels were also behind some of the killings. Which, like, I totally understand where people would make that conclusion. Like, that's an obvious maybe. Yeah, it is a possibility. But, like, the rest of it, holy grasping at straws. (laughs) Like, literal what the actual fuck. Yeah, so you'll love this next one. So Picton also says he is a greenhorn who has, and I quote, little experience about women over sexual intercourse as sex is a sin without marriage. Okay. Dude disembowels <laughs> someone because he picked her up as a John. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah. So I know I mentioned it earlier that in one of the countries that I knew of, you can't profit off of books. So I looked it up and we actually don't have a federal law here. You can profit off of them. So Paul Bernardo, which mm-hmm. is a case I'll probably be due later. He's the Barbie and Ken killers. Yeah. He did write a book. And I'm not sure if you can get it, but he, I like genuinely wrote a book. I wonder if he gave any money to Carla. Probably not. <laughs> so there is no federal law, um, federal, but legislation does exist in Ontario, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Nova Scotia. So there was, like, public outcry when mm-hmm. this book came out because people were like, why is there no provincial legislation like the other provinces? Mm-hmm. So British Columbia Minister of Public Safety, Mike Morris, said his office is investigating every means available to ensure that the families involved are protected from further harm and that Robert Picton will not profit in any way from his book. But, like, they don't have the legislation here. No, there's no legislation at all here. So you can do it in British Columbia, Yukon, none of it, Northwest Territories, Quebec. Manitoba, Quebec, and Prince Edward Island, and um, Newfoundland and PEI. Just like obviously more than half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like what the fuck? Like it's so random. These provinces, for the most part, are all spread out. The four that do have them, like, come on. I know it. Like, yeah, it's like really weird. So. We mentioned in the last episode that there is, like, a little bit of conspiracy with the police. So I wanted to, like, dive further into that and, like, what kind of happened. In 2010, there was a provincial government inquiry was established to examine the Picton case and how it was handled by authorities. And later on, we'll talk about it again. But this inquiry, like, involved, like, an insane amount of people were called to the stand. So RCMP and Vancouver police did suffer a ton of criticism for the way they handled the case such as the two agencies withholding information from each other. The RCMP has been called arrogant in Canadian media and said not to work well in tandem with other investigation agencies. There was like a bombing in the 80s, I read, and apparently they worked horrendous with other investigative agencies as well. I've heard that that happens like quite often. Yeah. Like detachments just don't communicate with each other at all. So it's kind of ridiculous to me that they're being called about this, but they're not being, like, reprimanded for it continuing. Like, this isn't where it stopped. No. Or where or it began. began. Yeah. Like. At all. It just continued on. Like, exactly. come on, please. <laughs> no. In December 2012, so a couple years later, the Missing Women Commission of Inquiry issued its final report titled Forsaken. The inquiry said blatant failures by police, including inept criminal investigation work, compounded by police and societal prejudice against sex trade workers and Indigenous women, had led to a tragedy of epic proportions. 
The inquiry issued 63 recommendations, including the creation of a greater Vancouver Regional Police Force to allow for more effective, less fragmented police cooperation. And it also called for adequate funding for emergency shelters for women in the sex trade and for compensation for children of the missing women, which is great. Mm -hmm. Following the report, the Vancouver Police Department implemented several policies and procedural changes to its missing persons investigations. Some of these kind of surprised me that they didn't have them already. So the missing persons unit was made a regular part of the police department. (laughs) Investigations are required to begin without delay and family members are advised regularly and they're consulted before the release of information. They weren't before. And last, the case file is kept open until the missing person is located. That also wasn't done before. I don't know. That seems like the basics to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised. (laughs) I have many, many opinions. (laughs) I found the most juiciest article from Mr. Hiscox, and he sat down with, like, we'll get into it more, but he was the one in the last episode that was the farmhand who put in the couple complaints that weren't investigated. Mm -hmm. So he... Yeah, I complained to police twice. Apparently him and a few lawyers connected to the case did allege that there was a cover-up. And even, like, the conspiracy to the police's botched investigation. And that, you know, they were particularly given extensive Hell's Angels links to the Picton farm. Yeah, lawyers and Hiscox thinks the police and the Hells Angels were way more involved than what's stated. Mm-hmm. His Hiscox is now 61, but this article was wrote in 2012 where he was 52. Mm-hmm. And he was living in Alberta at the time that it was written. And he sat down with the Vancouver Observer for a pretty extensive interview. And I just wrote down, like, the points that I thought were definitely the most interesting to, like, kind of what we already said. Mm-hmm. His first quote was that he knew that there was just something not right there. He said, you can't put your finger on it, but it's there. It's kind of a weird feeling, kind of turning, wrenching feeling where you know something's wrong. The next quote, he said, like, it basically felt like sixth sense. Mm-hmm. That you, like, feel like someone's, like, always watching you. Mm-hmm. In 2012, at that time, Hiscox had not spoken to any court agency about a story. He was never called to testify at all. Who did they call? Like, I mean, they called more people at the police investigation than they did at the fucking Picton trial. It's true. There was, like, an insane... Like, they he talks about the inquiries later and, like, how many... Like, there was an insane amount of people called. Like, yeah, this article went on and on about how he wasn't called. It was like, I don't know. Yeah. So he was invited to be interviewed the week before this one for the potential affidavit submission for the Missing Women's Commission of Inquiry, so that inquiry. But he has so far been completely rejected from the witness list, despite his firsthand experience of the botched police investigation and a two-month standing request from inquiry lawyers. So, like, they invite him, but they make it impossible for him to go. I don't really understand. So he began working with Picton in the spring of 1998, and he was helping salvage materials from being demolished on the King George Motel in Surrey, B.C., he described Picton as completely unsociable and quiet, but apparently his cox was like that too, so he didn't like hold it against him. What disturbed him the most was that he was hearing stories from his sister-in-law, which was Lisa Yelds, who's Picton's best friend at the time, mm-hmm. about seeing Aboriginal status cards and bloody women's clothing that she saw inside the Picton trailer. Mm-hmm. So his cox states that he had a conversation with Yelds in 1998 about how they both had been feeling that the women were going missing at the farm. 
So his coxlater saw posters around for Sarah DeVries, who was one of Picton's victims, and his cox actually phoned the number on the poster and spoke with Sarah's friend Wayne. And his cox didn't put his name down, but it was revealed later to be him. But he told Wayne that Picton had bragged about being able to dispose of bodies and grind them up for feed for his pigs on his property in Port Coquitlam. Can you imagine getting a phone call like that after? <laughs> like, what? No. You'd be like, okay, psycho. So the Vancouver Police Department detective, whose name was Laurie Shenyer, uh, would actually find out about his cox first. And they would hold meetings in the September of 1998, but these totally ceased by mid-October, stating that Picton wants to finish off Miss Anderson, was the note on the file, which Miss Anderson is the woman who got stabbed and disemboweled and escaped and lived. Mm -hmm. So she was expecting him to get arrested, and then they were, you know, going to look at the property and find everyone else. Yeah. But then the charges were dropped. So she just stopped talking to his cocks. She, like, got trigger happy. So he stated that he, uh, like, his cocks stated that he heard from Lisa Yelds and that Picton had ordered a bunch of syringes and wanted them, half of them new and half of them old. And that Yelds was concerned as Picton is apparently not an IV user at all. And she had a feeling that it had to do with Miss Anderson, the woman who escaped. After Picton's arrest, they found a ton of syringes full of windshield washer fluid, some bearing human DNA, and they were discovered in his trailer and were presumably to murder people. Windshield washer fluid? Yes. Windshield washer Oh my god, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. I know. But like, like, I don't even know how someone gets the idea of that. Me either. Well, I mean, like... He probably just thought, what's the cheapest thing that I can inject into someone? Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't think there was, like, a lot going on up there, I should say. So, (laughs) like, I don't know. Like, this article was so interesting because I was like, what is, like, how is this guy not asked to go to court? Like, he has so much information. It gets, like, actually crazier. So, he actually... So, yeah, some ask why Hiscox was not accepted as an undercover informant, and it's totally unclear. Uh, some officers came forward and said that he was just hard to get a hold of, and that Detective Schenner's log showed a handful of missed calls and meetings, and that all she had to say was that he had shown himself to be someone who would contact her if he had something new, and that she didn't want to push him on an undercover operation because apparently he was in recovery, and she basically didn't want to, like, stress him out. Mm-hmm. So his cox in this article told his version of events, which is that he, and I quote, says, I can knock Coles and Shenner's statements easily. I want to be put on the stand because I've got something to say. Shenner said I disappeared for four years, but they have got documented proof that she talked to me right up until 1999. I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. I was in and out of rehab and probation. Don't tell me you couldn't find me. So until this article, he... Uh, his cox does not know why contact with him was abandoned in 1999, nor why uh, police turned down his offer. He offered to be an undercover agent, and they said no. And I wrote down another quote. He said, I was willing to go inside. I was more than willing and more than happy to do whatever it took to stop this guy. I went as far as to suggest to put a wire on me. I told them, if you guys are too chicken for the shit... I will go and do it for you. They were willing to do that. They had the break right in front of them. What were they waiting for? 
Like, that's weird. Like, why wouldn't they? I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot. Like, did they not trust him and maybe thought he was a part of it? Were they protecting him? Like, I mean, like, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Like, the last thing in the article that was interesting is that he actually stated that he didn't believe that Picton was acting alone. And that investigators did find 80 unidentified DNA profiles at the Picton farm, and half of them were actually male. And that RCMP homicide investigator Mike Connors states that he never investigated a tip that a murdered male Hells Angels member was on the farm. I mean, that makes sense, too. Like, if he's not working alone, he had this protection from H.A., and maybe in return they were allowed to stash bodies there. Maybe. Like, he agreed to feed them to the pigs and get rid of them, right? Like, he was their cleanup. Gross. Yeah. So there's potentially 40 dead male people there, or the DNA profiles are people who were there and, like, assisted Mm -hmm. with killing other people. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. And now there's a strip mall there, so. (laughs) (laughs) Not haunted. (laughs) No, not haunted at all. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to slide into some information about David Picton, but Devin actually did most of the research, um, all of the research for David Picton, so she's going to lead talking about him. Hello. (laughs) That's so awkward. Um, So David Picton was actually never charged in connection with his brother's crimes. He and he did co-own the farm with him. He essentially went MIA after Robert was arrested. They described him, police described him as like the boss of Willie. And he would tell his brother like when to go to bed. Reports said that he knew where the bodies were buried. Like, he he straight up told the RCMP that he knew where the bodies were buried. That he knew it was over for his brother. But claimed he had no idea about the murders. Which just, like, ultimately makes no fucking sense. How do you know there's bodies but don't know how they died? Or how they got there? Yeah. Like, they just, like... Like, ice, your pants are on fire because you're lying. Yeah. <laughs> Picton Farm slash cemetery like i'm confused so (laughs) um just like his cox david was never called to testify i mean like like, big shock who did they even have to testify if they didn't have david or his cox because his cox obviously knew a lot i i'm convinced they had no one i think they did have lisa yelds but lisa yelds knew like a fraction of what his cox and david knew and bias too yeah she was good friends with him she never came forward about the information that she knew she just gossiped about it to his cox yeah so like get fucked <laughs> um <laughs> so david has actually been repeatedly spotted over the years the most recent being this year in march in the downtown east side which is the same area where his brothers in quotations, (laughs) murder victims worked in the sex trade, which is ultimately scary. Dating back, I think it was right after, like during the trial or right before the trial for his brother, there was sightings of him, um, which caused local shelters and drop-in centers um, to place notices warning the sightings as he had been talking to women in the area And women reported that they were frightened by seeing him and being approached by him. In 2009, David and 
Linda Wright, which it's just like so weird because there's like really no history of her ever since she left the farm. No. Like she wanted to get away from that whole scenario. I didn't even know she was involved <clears throat> in the farm anymore. I thought it was yeah. just left to the two brothers. Yeah, like she just fucked off and wanted nothing to do with with them at all. And so David and Linda sued the RCMP for damages allegedly caused by police investigators that were conducted on the family-owned property, saying that they disturbed, disrupted, killed, and destroyed various plants, trees, ground covers, and other vegetation, and the fish in the pond. Which is just (laughs) like, like, what? That's what you're concerned about? Like, oh my god. It was probably wild fish. Like, you didn't put the fish there. Oh, and even if, like, we don't know, that he fucking fed dead bodies to the pigs, and they were buried all over the farm. Like, you think they're just going to be like, oh, shit, there's a koi pond here. We're just going <laughs> to leave it alone because we don't want to disturb the koi. Like, no, they're going to fucking look in the water because, like, he's going to put it all over the fucking farm. If he's going to feed it to the pigs, he could feed it to the fish. <laughs> Cannibal koi. <laughs> What's well, not cannibalism, but like, you know, it well, just you sounded know. good. <laughs> a cannibal koi bond. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, it, it is frightening people. Like, I've seen a lot of stuff actually coming up on some people that I follow on TikTok that are making frequent posts about sightings that have been made for David. I had mentioned in the last series or the last episode that we did that David Picton has some sort of bizarre disliking for sexual assault victims. And um, he was charged in 1992 with crimes uh, for sexual assault and was not served justice, in my honest opinion. Um, When I had read it, it was a $1,000 fine that he received. And I believe it was 30 days probation. Yeah. And then he was ordered to, like, never have contact with the victim. Like, whoop-de-fucking-do. And, yeah, ever since then, maybe even before then, he's just, like, really had some type of weird fucking idolization that he wants to cause harm to people that are victims of sexual assault which we know what the fucking percentages are like this is a lot of women um i don't know if he includes men in this it seems to primarily be uh women that are victims of sexual assault but he wants to cause harm to them he's talked about wanting to murder them and the rcmp just like could give two fucks about it it's like the last of their concerns And he hasn't actually done anything that's been reported other than the crime that he was convicted for in 1992. And I highly doubt that that was the last sexual assault or assault crime that he's ever committed since 1992. He doesn't have a clean slate for the last almost now 20 years. And he's scaring people. Like, there's been sightings in the Lower Mainland, like, all over the Vancouver metropolitan area. And it's freaking people out because this dude is fucked up and he deserves to be in prison just like his brother. The weird thing is, is, like, I'm assuming he's just living off of the millions of dollars because, like, there's not a ton of information about him. Mm-mm. So, like, basically... I found barely anything. And I did, like, hours of looking into it. And, like, all these points was basically all I could find. And this was a f- quite a few articles. And it yeah. was a lot of repetition. Yeah, so, like, he just... What, his brother gets arrested and that's it? They don't think anything about him? Like, that's so weird. 
If he hit that boy. There is no chance that he just, like, didn't hit that, like, it was an accident. That he was just like, oh, shit. I can't believe what I've just done. I'm going to go run and get my mother who's going to finish the job. Like, no. Like, he knew what he was doing. He's he just did. as sick as his brother. But it's just weird. Like, I don't know. Not that I even remotely agree that there was, like, some crazy, insane cover-up by any means. But, like, David Picton not being arrested or even... There's no evidence or reports of he him even being questioned. Mm-hmm. It's just so weird. It is very weird. I think there's a lot to the case that that we as civilians will never know. Like, I think no. there's a lot that, that they didn't want to be released. Yeah. Because it paints certain individuals poorly so that's all on david picton because that's all that fucking exists on this dude i know yeah like the fact that like there's not more reports of people saying like where he works and stuff Mm -hmm. just makes me think that like he He, just he he has to be living off of that yeah i mean like look at how they lived before he can fucking live off of anything and i'm assuming that he didn't win the suing in 2009 right i couldn't find anything I'm I'm assuming the answer is no. It had been postponed. I do remember reading that, that at that point when the article I think that I read was from 2012, at that point, there was no proceedings at all. Like it, it had been paused. Yeah. And like Hiscox from the article I read, he didn't mention David a whole bunch either. He basically said like, oh, I don't think Robert did it alone, Mm -hmm. which I think it's common knowledge or at they least, hosted the parties together yeah like he to me he was totally involved absolutely like if he wasn't involved in the actual like murdering act he was at the very least involved in like the keeping the women or gathering the women to bring them there and to drug them and hosting these parties knowing that that was going to occur because like how do you say that you know where the bodies are but then in the same hand say that you don't know anything about the murders like it just doesn't make any sense he's obviously leaving out information rightfully so like he doesn't want to be convicted of a crime he's got other things that he wants to do (laughs) but he basically admitted there like how do you like what did robert just walk up one day and he's like hey like come look at this and Mm -hmm. like look at see that arm over there Here's these 49 bodies scattered across the, the farm. I didn't do it. Just thought you should know. FYI. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just fucked. It's really fucked up. I could barely find anything, honestly. It's really weird. And he's about 60 right now, so he's probably registered for the COVID-19 vaccine. <laughs> Let's hope he gets, you know, a poor version of it. <laughs> I won't name the name. <laughs> I assume that he probably is just not going to get it. <laughs> yeah, he seems, he's probably not. He seems like an off-the-grid kind of character that wouldn't do that. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be getting the vaccine. So. <laughs> yeah. So we did want to just quickly mention um, another, I don't even know, like a case or a series of murders, I guess you it could say. It kind of ties into it because, yeah. like, there were quite a few women that were murdered by Picton that were indigenous. And that, I mean, there could be more victims that he had gained off of highway of tears. So that's what we're merging into here. Um, I think it's a really big piece of information I do too. of yeah. like current and past Canadian history. Cause this is something that gets swept under the rug, like a lot of Canadian history that has to do with indigenous peoples. 
And yeah, I think it's a really good opportunity to bring light to this because I think there are probably a lot of Canadians that don't know about this, have never heard about the Highway of Tears. Um, Especially East Coast, right? Like, it, yeah. like it's on the West Coast. Like, And there's probably BCers that have never heard of this. And, you know, people across the world, I know we've got lots of listeners from all over the world. Um, and it, it's a huge part of Canada. It really is. So with the Highway of Tears, it's a 720-kilometer stretch, or if you go by miles, 450 miles, quarter of Highway 16 between Prince George and Prince Rupert in British Columbia, Canada. It's been the location of many, many, many missing and murdered Indigenous women that don't get investigated. Like, it doesn't fucking happen. And, like, for reference, Prince George is, like, what, like, eight hours drive it's probably It's a huge north. stretch. It's a huge stretch, yeah. Yeah, like, it's pretty far from where we're located. Mm-hmm. Like, we're definitely southern province. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, what, middle, I'd say? Probably mid. Don't geography me. I literally okay. it's a It's about, like, I'd say lower mid of the province. Mm-hmm. For anyone who doesn't know, we actually have quite a large province. <laughs> yeah, Canada's huge. Yeah, it's, not it's a lot huge. of people here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this has been going on since 1970. So, like, this isn't new shit. No. This is a huge, this is some like half of a lifetime for a regular human being, a hundred year lifespan, right? Like, it, it, it's sad. It's really, really sad. And, you know, it. it's just something that, there isn't so much information or awareness on. And this is a lot of like hitchhikers that are on this stretch and they don't have a way of transportation. Like, unfortunately the reservations that are in Canada are very like off the beaten path per se. They're they're, like shoved away from the rest of like nor I I put quotations around this because I think it's bullshit, but like normalized society. And they don't have a lot of means of transportation. Like they aren't given as much government funding as made out to be. First Nations people pay taxes. <laughs> people, they pay taxes. They don't make a ton of fucking money from the government, like some people are super misinformed will say. And they don't have these ritzy lifestyles, like if you go to reservations, most reservations are extremely run down because of lack of government funding. Like it's very, very poor living conditions, like extremely poor, like verging, if if verging is even the case, uh, condemned, the property should be condemned, people should not be inhabiting these homes. And the Canadian government could care less, they act like they do, they could give a fuck. They really could. But in regards to the Highway of Tears, the proposed explanation for the years-long endurance of the crimes, it doesn't mention the negligence of the RCMP, but I would say that that's probably a huge portion of it. (laughs) Yes. Um, And the limited progress in identifying culprits because the Canadian government doesn't give a shit about Indigenous people uh, include... Poverty, (laughs) drug abuse, domestic violence, disconnection with traditional culture, and disruption of the family unit through the foster care system and Canadian First Nations residential school system. Another huge part of Canadian history swept under the rug. And for anyone who doesn't know, definitely if you want to research some really messed up Canadian history, 
definitely look at the residential school system. Mm-hmm. Like the last residential school closed in like what, 1996 in yep. Saskatchewan? Yeah, it was 1996. And basically like super short footnotes is they would put indigenous children in residential schools to teach them English and Christian faith to take away their cultural values and would beat them. And many cases, like, children would get murdered and get buried in places that they didn't know. And families, like, still don't know where people are buried. No, they they were stolen from their families. Like, they were literally kidnapped by the Canadian government and the RCMP to torture Indigenous peoples. Like, they kidnapped their children. They stripped away their native language and all their culture that they had learned because they wanted to whitewash them. Yeah, and then, like, they'd go back to their families and they would speak English because that's what they'd been mm-hmm. basically beaten to do. And then their families would, you know, get frustrated with them because, like, you know, they're they're English. Like, they're, they're what are they doing? Like, they have this culture. Mm-hmm. Like, why are they not following it? It was – it's just super messed up. It lasted it's way a, too long. Way too long. And Massive genocide. there's still – you know, lots of people that are missing and that have come out and said stories. And yeah, if you ever want to read, man, like that's a Google deep dive. You can definitely get yourself into. I would highly recommend it. This is not something like, I don't know what they're doing right now in the curriculum, but I can tell you right now. I didn't learn about residential schools till I was in college. Like I learned about them in sociology, first year college. And I was like flabbergasted. Like I was like, I didn't know any of this. Like, I did not learn that in high school. Yeah, this is, like, this is something that needs to be taught, and, like, to children in elementary school. Like, actually, because elementary, middle, middle school, beginning of middle school, because lots of ignorance surrounds this, and a lot of ignorance in the educational system, and in kids that are of that age. Like, huge. Absolutely huge. There's just a massive misunderstanding, like... This is unfortunately Canadians' version of like U.S. racism issues. For sure, it, I would. There's I would, huge bias. I'd agree that. I I grew up. For those that don't know me personally, I was born in Arizona, um, and I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, until I was ten or eleven, and then um, my mom remarried, and we moved to British Columbia, Canada. Huge move huge culture shock. I never, ever, ever in my life heard one racial slur on indigenous peoples. And I have a lot of Southern relatives. So I heard many, many, many racial slurs over my upbringing. And I never heard a racial slur against indigenous peoples until I moved to Canada ever. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And yeah, like I will argue to the end of time, like my partner's First Nations and the amount of like prejudice that we face. And he looks pretty white for an indigenous person, but his facial features are very obvious. And it's like, it's pretty fucked up until you like see it firsthand. I don't think people tend to realize like how big of an issue it really is. Yeah, like like Jeff, like Devin's partner is probably one of the first like indigenous people or first nations that I've ever like actually been friends with mm-hmm. and not saying for any reason, just, I just didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've definitely noticed it more. Oh yeah. It's for crazy. Sure. It's crazy how much like, like even when like we're in groups mm-hmm. talking, someone will make like a comment and I'm always like, you know, just first nations. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, Oh, Oh. And I'm like, you just shouldn't say stuff like that. No, I like, get super rude. I've totally heard people say stuff like, Oh, well, like 
I, you know, like all First Nations people are just like drunks or whatever. And I'm like, um, that's totally fucking inaccurate. Like, shut your mouth. And like, I'm sorry, but Jeff is First Nations and the amount of times that I've seen him drink in the almost eight years as of this year um, that we've been together, I could count on two hands. And people that are First Nations don't automatically mean that they have an alcohol problem. And the people that do have an alcohol problem, I'm sorry, but these people have faced extreme prejudice and extreme genocide to many, many, many generations of their family. And it is literally proven by historical fact that these types of issues stem from what's happened to them. Like, fuck off. You're trying to tell me that, like, we're going to just whitewash it here. If a white person, if a white son watches his father commit domestic violence on his mother and he's never taught that it should be any different, you're trying to tell me that there isn't a high chance that he's also going to be an abuser? Fuck off. Like, come on. And the last residential school closed in 1996. I know. That's only 25 years ago. I was born in 1994. Like, I've heard people be like, not my generation. Yeah, it is your fucking generation. I was seven in 1996. Like, I was alive. Yeah, it is our generation. And the racism still wildly continues. So... It's still my brother's generation. It's a huge problem. It's still a problem. And it will be a problem for definitely past our generation. Yeah. Like, it will not be corrected by then. Yeah. By any means. No, not at all. And, yeah. So, to get back on topic. (laughs) That's a little vent This literally goes out of control. (laughs) Because, like, I could go off forever. (laughs) Not longer than six minutes, that's for sure. Sub-podcast coming, no. (laughs) Um, so in, in that being said, there's been 80 plus victims that have been reported so far from 1970 to present. Um, there is actually a documentary that's called Highway of Tears that's made by Canadian filmmakers and it can be watched the full version of it on Vimo. It, uh, actually was on Netflix Canada. I was going to watch it, um, on Netflix Canada again, but I looked tonight before we added this in here, and it's not on Netflix Canada anymore. So shame on you, Netflix Canada, because <laughs> what the actual fuck for continuing to cover up Canadian history. So it's super weird. Good job. Good job. I searched. It's not on there. I wonder if it's on Crave, but I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah. I don't know. That's weird. But no, it's definitely like Highway Tears is definitely something that's in that does relate to Robert Picton. Mm. Robert Picton, most of his victims were indigenous as well. Mm. And I'm sure there's a lot of correlation with the women that went missing on the Highway of Tears. Yeah, like to say that none of them were part of it, like we don't even really know. And that's just 80 people who've been reported, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. So it's unfortunate. It's still going on today. And, yeah, there needs to be change. Yeah, I agree. Be a part of the change. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) A little tidbit. (laughs) Yeah. So I just wanted to say, too, as we close this out, that I've super enjoyed being on this podcast. So thanks for having me. (laughs) Anytime. (laughs) This is, like, a true crime is, like, a huge thing of mine. Like, I know it kind of – I'm very, like – 
comedic when it comes to it, but, like, it's ex- extreme issue mm-hmm. for a lot of these crimes, and, like, I don't want it to be taken lightly. Like, these things are absolutely terrible that happen to people, and the only reason that we might laugh is because we are just trying to make things seem not as, like... Serious. Sh- yeah, shitty and, and serious. Grim. And Yeah, and grim. Like, to try and, like... Get through it. Because not everybody can handle, like, the nitty-gritty of it. And, like, I'm super fucking creepy. So, like, trust me. You, like, do not want to <laughs> see me, like, get into the nitty-gritty of this. <laughs> but, you know, like, I've watched uh, and listened to a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. And some true crime podcasts are, like, really dark. And they mm-hmm. have the creepy nature. And I think people who are interested in true crime maybe don't want it to be so creepy. Mm-hmm. They want it to be more lighthearted. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of what... I'm going for because I totally relate. Like, I may laugh or joke, but, like, it's mostly because I, like, just can't believe that this is something that actually happened. Oh, no, I'm flabbergasted by, like, <laughs> how, how things are handled. And, I, I mean, obviously in a perfect world, and we all say that this we would handle things differently, but a lot of this shit is just, like, it's wild, dude. It's it's really crazy, and it's very, very frustrating. This is, I wanted to be an investigator for, like, a lot of my life. This is something that super interested me and I wanted to do like violent crimes. I wanted to do homicide detective and really get involved in that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, the justice system and my mind just do not make a good pair. (laughs) And I would be a terrible detective when it comes to like not freaking the fuck out at trials. Like, I'd be a great detective. Great. I'm super investigative. But when it comes to not, like, wringing a judge out by their neck or, like, threatening a jury to, like, side with, obviously, what the outcome should be, it's not me. It's not me. I am not the one. And I really wanted to be, like, a psychiatric nurse when I was younger Mm -hmm. because I liked – I wanted to get into people's heads. I think that's Mm -hmm. why I'm so interested in it because – I just, like, I can't imagine doing those things. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, what was your motive? Like, why yeah. did you do that? Like, like what what made you feed your pigs people? Like, wh- why did you yeah. want to do that? Yeah. It's really interesting. A lot of that, all the psychology and everything is extremely, extremely interesting to me as well. So hopefully this isn't the last thing you hear from me because <laughs> I love murder in, like, the least murdery way possible. that's really funny okay so we're gonna wrap up the podcast so thank you obviously so much for Devin joining me you definitely will not all right (laughs) are we breaking up (laughs) I meant to say it's it'll not be the last time we're hearing from you is what I'm trying to say thank god because I think I just became like a little heartbroken I'm sitting over here like Oh my god! (laughs) I worked so hard. (laughs) I was nice and everything. (laughs) No, it's definitely not the last time you'll hear from her. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening and stay tuned in two weeks. We will be doing a new case with a new host. So, dun dun dun. (laughs) Okay, thanks everyone. Bye!